Welcome to the Out Loud podcast. Uh, today we have on Enswani Bafo, who is an entrepreneur, a fitness expert, and just an all-around awesome human being and amazing font of business and life wisdom in general. Uh, you've been a, a mentor of mine basically since I got in the game, and, and it's just such a, an honor and a privilege to have you here. So thanks for doing this. Oh, you're far too kind, Will. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really yeah. excited to be here today. For sure. And, and uh, I think, you know, because of what you've sort of just been through recently, uh, we have a lot to talk about in terms of resilience and staying optimistic, positive, and strong-willed as an entrepreneur at the moment. So what I'd love to do before that is just take me through kind of how you got to where you are now in your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, yes, just any kind of background you want and tell people what it is that you do now. Sure, sure. I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. I think I've been in the entre- entrepreneur space from the time I was like 10, you know, selling right. lemonade in front of my mom's house. But uh, I mean, officially I opened my first business when I was 16. Wow. I was into cars and loved customizing. And I had a good friend who had his own shop and ended up setting me up to run something out of his shop, almost like a small shop within a shop, hmm. which worked out really great, gave me some good experience. Um, I was very athletic, so I happened to be a scholarship athlete for American football and played in the U.S. in Pittsburgh. But while I was there, very quickly, I looked around and noticed, wow, this is a very different city than Toronto, meaning there's lots of opportunity. A bit of a depressed time period because coal mining mm-hmm. and steel had moved out of the area, but property right. value had dropped. So what ended up happening was uh, I started buying rental properties and mm-hmm. renting to students. So that was, I'd say, my second business. Wow. And then later on, I went into the fitness space. Now, disclaimer, every business I went into had moments of success, and then went completely exploded and went belly up. Right. <laughs> I sold Which is my, part, uh, of the, part of the learning curve, right? That's, that's yeah, the kind of yeah, stuff that, sure. that fuels you. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I sold my, my car part business uh, the summer when fatness, summer before Fast and Furious came out. So that was, was intelligent. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't <laughs> have known, then, though. Uh, I couldn't have known. My partner did very well, who I sold to. Yeah. And then in terms of my housing business, um, I got out just as the subprime market was starting to plummet, which was good. You know, I didn't really lose financially, but then I lost the opportunity to, you know, potentially double and triple my my portfolio. So I always felt like I was a little bit late. Right. And um, I wanted to get some experience formally because I wasn't really much of a, a job kind of person. I know I want to shift to fitness. That always been my backbone in terms of my own self and my ability to connect with other people and help people. So I started working for Good Life Fitness, and that was supposed to be a short stint to learn a few things. But the interesting part of working with a company like Good Life, I mean, now we know it's an established company of 42 years, 43 years. It's a group of entrepreneurs who said, let's try to make fitness a business. Mm. And if you really think about it, imagine someone opening a fitness gym in the 70s. And saying, you know, I want to have a national chain that, uh, you know, it's 400 plus locations. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a, a lot, lot of, of vision. My time, a lot of vision, a lot of yeah. risk taking, a lot of just trial and error. Right. And a lot of my time with Good Life was something I call being an intrapreneur, meaning you had some structure and you had obviously some repeatable process. But a lot of the job was just like figure out and go. Mm. Um, so what turned out to be what was supposed to be a short stint ended up turning into an 11 year run. And can, uh, can I ask a question about that? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you, do you think that the kind of, was that, was that um, uh, uh, a positive on the side of the ownership that they let you do that? Did it feel like they were giving you credit and giving you trust in order to go figure that stuff out? And is that part of why you stayed? Yeah, that's a really, really good point you made. And I think it's important to understand fitness in itself. Our bodies are unique. 
Mm. Everybody's different. Some similarities, yes, but then differences, right? So if you take that now and you think about a fitness business, you're going to have some similarities in process, but you need a lot of uniqueness. Mm. And a good life for myself had a really good way of fostering that. At the same time, too, they challenged me to make sure that my actual ideas were, you know, they had some process to it. And they always say right. to me, great idea. How do we do it across the country? Right. And, you know, often that was the end of my great ideas, which weren't good ideas. They were just things <laughs> right. I thought of. <laughs> it wasn't good unless um, you could roll it out nationally. It's not good if one person wins and 10 people fail. Right. right. And that yeah, yeah. caused me to really change my scope of not just responsibility, but it really challenged my, you know, creativity to put it to to test. Right. Like, can this be something that's implemented? Can other people benefit? How do I right. say what I want done in different ways that affect and impact different people? And um, in entrepreneur yeah. parlance, that would kind of be like scalability. Right. Does exactly. your idea have scalability? Exactly. So, right. you know, that was something that every day challenged me. Different roles I took on caused me to rethink my ideas, rethink my process. And, uh, you know, yeah, 11 years is a really good time. So a lot of credit to the company. Yeah. And, and you've just recently moved to a new venture, right? Um, I, I think you're comfortable saying this kind of publicly because you, you, you have certainly the last email I got from you was like, I'm, I'm moving <laughs> on to something, something new. Uh, yes. And I'd love, yeah, if you could just tell me a bit about it and, and what the, yeah, what the, what the kind of core idea is. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm definitely staying in a fitness space and I really want to elevate the experience between one-on-one uh, -on -one training and clients. And I believe that right now, the need for someone to have a personal coach is higher than ever, hmm. especially with us being disconnected through COVID. And really, you know, fitness is always making leaps and bounds, which I'm, I'm very thankful for. But sometimes it moves in masses and it's very generic. Hmm. So having people to connect and say, here's what's going on in my life from a physical, mental, spiritual point of view hmm. and checking in and assigning work, I think is going to be uh it's always been important. It's been the basis of my, of my fitness career, but now mm. I really want to make sure that I can offer that to a discerning crowd. Right. So um, I'm going into the space of working with companies and businesses that are small. They're very agile. They're in communities where, you know, Torontoians are working from home and we're looking to create again, lots of experience for health, mental, spiritual wellness. Yeah. So I'm just shrinking down my portfolio and being a little more specific if that was mm. a little wordy. Yeah, no, no, that that that's that makes a lot of sense, and it's. I think it's. I couldn't agree more. I mean, my what I'm in in my space is more for. I guess you'd call it business coaching rather than fitness coaching, but it's the same philosophy behind. You can't just put out a bunch of templates and say, okay, if you follow X, Y, and Z, then your business will be successful. There has to be a look at who is this person behind the business. You know, when I work with a founder, I ask them a lot of questions that maybe would seem a little too personal or a little on the sort of therapeutic side, a conversation you might yes. have with like a therapist, but it's so important to know where yeah. are you coming from? Who are you? What are your values? What's your life like? What are the, you know, stressors that you have and what are the, all the pieces at play? Cause that's going to inform how yes. you do everything. Yes. Well said. And I, I've always had a way of noticing, you know, a fact packed or rep fact pattern recognition. I only learned mm. that word a few months ago, but I understood it for years. And it's seeing the moving pieces and seeing, well, how do they fit? And just to, uh, you know, to, to double down on what you're saying, we're seeing an influx of tools, you know, um, in-home workouts, Pelotons, uh, IG Live apps, technology, all that stuff is amazing because it's making fitness more digestible mm -hmm. and it's bringing it right to people's door, literally. Right. The gap that I'm seeing, though, is that more than ever, we need to be on something progressive. 
because the world right now broke yeah. and we don't know what's happening with our economy. We don't know what's happening with our laws, with education, our careers. Yeah. I feel like now is better than now more than other now more than ever. Excuse me. I need to know, you know, am I getting a little better each day? 1% better each day. Yeah. Right. And if I'm just using tools, yes, we have different feedback mechanisms built into like wearables and whatnot, mm-hmm. but that's just data and tech. There needs to be a relationship side. Sometimes tech and data is not going to show you that 1% improvement, right? Right. Well, that's it. And that's a big problem. I think in a lot of tech industries is, is how do you keep, how, how do you make sure you're measuring qualitative data as well as quantitative? Because if you're not, then there's definitely something missing because human beings are emotional animals. We can't, we can't make everything logic-based as much as we yeah. might want to. And certainly certain personality types, I think you and me are maybe both a little like this. We wish sometimes people could be a little more logical when we're, you know, yeah. working with them or when we're, you know, but sometimes it's, it's just, we're, that's not really how we're wired or, and even when we think we're being logical, we're actually being emotional uh, because exactly. our emotional brain is kind of often in the driver's seat, yeah. even when we, we think it's not. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So for you, um, and I guess this will also get us into some of your personal, uh, uh recent experience with your injury. Um, yes. so yeah. And I, well, I guess I kind of answered it for <laughs> you, but yeah. So this process of doing a holistic, personalized, focused fitness, uh, regime, I guess you would say for your clients, like coming up with like what's going on in your mind, body, spirit, all that sort of stuff. Can you talk a bit about where that philosophy comes from and whether or not it, it is influenced by your recent uh, uh, sort of health stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, <clears throat> anything I bring to my clients or businesses or, you know, cohorts, it, I'm always going to test it in my in myself. And really, it's an extension of what I'm doing for myself and my right. own fitness, my own my own regime. Um, you know, I love performance lifting. I love the feeling of, you know, hitting certain numbers or hitting certain markers. I want to look good naked. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we all do. But I know the benefit from fitness comes from, you know, the fact that I'm practicing micro challenges constantly Mm. and building resistance towards that and really doing it in a controlled sense where if the challenge gets too hard, I can easily just stop, right? Right. And and, or I can find other strategies in order to get through the challenge in in Mm. a very small microcosm that's safe. And I think often we don't look at fitness that way. So for myself, you know, I'm on a good path. Life is good. I got beautiful wife, great kids. Mm. And my career with good life, fantastic. There's no, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. The direction the company is going was great. I was definitely one of their key pieces. But then again, if I'm looking now to, to make sure that I'm practicing for the future or making sure I'm resilient for the future, I have to step back and really analyze and say, what's going on in my body, right? So for myself specifically, I've had an underlining abdominal tear, which turned into a hernia, probably probably two years, probably a little longer. Two years you were dealing with this. Yeah, yeah. Now, it wasn't acute. It wasn't something that happened, uh, you know, on a heavy lift or moving a couch. It was right. from overuse and a poor pattern hmm. that um, I was recognizing but not giving the attention that it needed. So in right. 2005, I had my right ankle and right leg reconstructed from a football injury. I had two surgeries to uh, put a pin in some plates in there, a plate and some pins rather. Mm. And that was always going to be something that requires a certain amount of attention. Right. And when I'm in the right headspace and everything's going well, I'll spend 20 minutes doing that and 40 minutes doing my other exercises. Right. 
that doesn't always happen. Sometimes yeah. I take 60 minutes doing bicep curls. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, the, van- the vanity muscles. So yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I don't feel so good in my t shirt. I'm doing a presentation. I'm doing yeah, pushes yeah. to make my chest bigger. Right. So, I mean, I knew I was on borrowed time with that. And I always thought the injury would happen downstream. Assuming I always thought the damage or the collateral damage would happen downstream. But the body's miraculous where it'll shift and move and, and try to put things off a lo- as long as it can. Mm. Uh, mind you, too, I'm an avid golfer. I played two rounds a week. I played football before COVID a couple times a week. Mm. I'm running with my, my son, biking. So I'm using this a lot. Yeah. Right? And any slight, any type of um, dysfunctional pattern or you know micro misalignment, you times that by a few thousand, it's going to show up and manifest. Right. So it manifested as, uh, you know, oh, what's that? That feels weird. Okay. And then all of a sudden it started becoming more visual. Like I can see it in my lower abdomen. Like a scar or some kind of uh, No, no, no. Like a protrusion. (laughs) Damn. Yeah. That sounds scary. Uh, I mean, I've had some, I'm no stranger to injury. It's more like what's what's going on there, right? So it wasn't scary enough to make you go, oh, I got to take care of this right away. You were kind of like, oh, I... I've seen stuff, something like this before, so I'll just figure it out. It's more like, yeah, I just took a list right away. Let's get back to bicycle. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic dude thing too. It's like, you're like, dude I'm thing, fine. Right? I'll just, I'll lift my way out of it. Yeah, I'll get off. Yeah, a couple more pups. Yeah, yeah, a couple yeah, more yeah. Of pups. Yeah, and I mean, it, it came to the point where my wife was like, "Dude, now hmm. go right now and research it." So I went in for a uh, a consultation at the Shoulders Clinic, which is a uh, world renowned, and we're very fortunate. Actually, let me digress for a second. We're very fortunate to have some forms of private healthcare in Toronto. Shoulders mm. is one of them. Mm. Uh, it's also unfortunate that these things are not talked about or made readily available to everybody. Right. Um, Shoulders is just in North York, Thornhill region. It's a private hospital. It's set up like a big house, like a mansion on a beautiful piece of property. And everything about their procedures in terms of how they did the surgery to the recovery, to even your group. You have a buddy that you go and talk to who also had the surgery, who you keep in touch with as you're mm. healing after you leave the hospital. Right. The grounds are meant That's for huge. walking. Huge. Yeah. Like there's days where I push it too far and I'm thinking, oh my God, I popped a stitch. And I would text my buddy and Mike's like, no, no, I did the same thing. You're okay. Put some ice on it. You'd be just fine. Yeah. I mean, you can't quantify how important that is to a recovery process. That's right. somebody to talk to about exactly what you're going through. Who knows? Exactly That's, what yeah. you're going through. So, I mean, it was so cool to have that experience. But at the same time, too, I felt a bit of guilt. Like, wow, this is not available to everybody because it yeah. costs money. Right. Um, but, I mean, just tie it back in. Like, I, I knew I needed to take care of it. And I knew by taking care of it and having a surgery, I would go back to zero. Yeah. So yeah. it's that, it's that commitment of like, once I, once I, um, once I commit to taking care of this, then I have to stop. I have to stop. No heavy lifting for five weeks at the end of golf season, no golf. Um, you know, that my weights now are like three and five pounds. It's that mental challenge as well. But yeah. I knew again, if, if I'm going to step in the right direction with my career, my next venture, my family, I can keep going. Everything is good. Or I can take a step back to, to potentially go forward. Yeah. Um, the, like, I, I feel like a lot of my current um, resilience in business and my ability to weather the storm of, of running a business and being an entrepreneur is grounded in my 
own recent injury. I guess it was about four years ago now, but uh, sort of I, I recovered right before I started my current business. And, and I injured myself actually when I was doing my other business out in China. And that, that uh, sent me home from there. And the lessons I learned about myself, about, as you say, these challenges about, I guess, investing in slowing down and stopping for future gains about being better when you come back um, and all of the mental work that I had to do, like going to therapy, talking myself out of the depression and the anxiety that came from, yeah, I, I moved, I went from being a co-owner of a business in China that was doing quite well. Um, I had a girlfriend who was there and she, you know, obviously stayed in China when I came back. And so we had to break up. So being with somebody living on my own, uh, you know, having this great company, having freedom and independence and a great job and, and something that I felt passionate about to back on my mom's couch uh, with yep. her literally helping me get dressed and feeding. Right. And so right. the, 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 the damage to my ego and my like sense of manhood and sense of adulthood and everything was tremendous. And so all that work of like getting through that and being okay with it and being okay with a slow recovery process being okay with not pushing myself too hard, but learning how hard to push. And then I know, as I say, all of the mental work of going, okay, this sucks. Yes, for sure. Yep. But it's not the end of anything uh, yep. or, or the end of the world. It will right. get better. It is okay. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay not to be strong. It's okay to get out of shape uh, and yep. not look your best. It's okay not to, be dating and, and, and have a girlfriend for a second because you're, you know, recovering. Uh, it's yep. okay to even just feel like shit sometimes. So all that stuff I feel like has placed me in a really good position. But so, yeah. And, and I wanted to ask you about that because you said you had a, f a first injury, right? With, with your ankle and knee. Yeah. Did you, so, did you, was that one harder because it was, was that your first kind of big, big injury? Yes. Yes. And the clarity that you spoke about now was not there. Um, mm -hmm. I had my injury on October 11th, 2005, 7.13 p.m. It was the last football game I ever played. And it was a mm -hmm. move I've done a thousand times before. This time, my leg stuck in the ground. My body turned. <laughs> cracked my fibula, tore all the ligaments in my ankle. Really? And I remember in that moment, <clears throat> I, I was in upstate New York. I was at uh, the opposing team stadium. So they uh, took me down underground to do the imaging at the makeshift clinic there. But it was their doctor. And I'm just going to grab a piece of paper to give you an example. He came back with the imaging. He's like, okay, son, very common break. When I look at this imaging, I'm looking for a space between your talus, which is a bone in your foot, to mm. see what the ligament damage is. It's less than three millimeters. You'll be fine in a few months. It's bigger than that. You might want to think of a new line of work. And he took the imaging. This is my fake imaging. Yeah. And he's like, whoa, that's like nine millimeters. Smacked me on the back and was like, good luck. And rolled out. That was it. Wow. Just because he was um, so for the other the, team, is that you think yeah, that's why he didn't give a shit? You know, it was it was a uh, small school football. To him, he was probably thinking, you know, this kid's not going to the pros. Uh, you know, it's a suck. Maybe his good luck was genuine. <laughs> it just was. Hmm. He's a doctor, right? Maybe he's yeah. a little more uh, transactional. Um, <laughs> There's not great bedside manner there. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> just, yeah. no, it was a solid. My doctor the did the same thing, by the way, though, the way he reacted to my, my MRI, he was like, Whoa. And then he actually said to me, do you mind if I keep this? And I was like, dude, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Thanks. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but I mean, yeah. So, I mean, the process of understanding like injury really is a gift. I get that now. Yeah. There's a really good book 
by that title, injury is a gift by again. And I think it's Ben Schofield who's a hmm. world record powerlifter, and he talks about that. You know, if I look back to life prior to October 11, 2005, yes, I was, you know, 6% body fat and I was jacked with muscles and I was a scholarship football player. And everywhere I went, someone wanted to buy me a drink and every yeah. girl was smiling at me. Right. But the destructive habits I had were just going to lead me to a bigger crash at some point, right? Right. You know, I didn't eat well, didn't sleep well. Uh, I partied hard. Mm. Uh, I didn't really think about my body in terms of longevity, right? Yeah. Which rewards you in that time period because it's the mentality you need to go and run yourself into someone two times your body size at full speed you can't think you about longevity that. yeah because you wouldn't do it longevity. yeah no it's a gladiator mentality and it was good yeah. serve the purpose i love the game i'll never take away that point but if i mm. hadn't transitioned out i have friends now i'm 38 years old we haven't played in 15 years they're not in good places they didn't transition mm. well yeah so i feel like that break it forced me to start the lessons you spoke about. And it was an ugly road. It was about a year of, uh, you know, daily rehab. Second surgery came a few months later. I had a very patient, very professional, amazing team, which I owe my recovery physically, mentally, and spiritually to them. Hmm. Um, but, you know, on the other side, you start realizing, oh, you know, I should stretch more. I should yeah. move more. I should not lift I like get my last day in the gym every single time. And what's this thing called, you know, water and sleep? Imagine I was an athlete. <laughs> you know, as an athlete, yeah. those things weren't even encouraged, right? Um, it's a different time period too. Right. Uh, and it speaks a lot to how a lot of the athletic systems are run, especially college football. It's just a mill. Beat yeah, you up well, for four years and yeah. It's like a commodification, right? Like that's what that's what that story you told me about going into that um, imaging session with that other doctor. It's like he's treating you like a commodity uh, and he's kind of going like, yeah, Oh, if you're not going to be a pro, then I'm not going to invest my care into you. And um, you know, if uh, it, you know, Oh, this is, yeah, it, this is a bad injury, but not my problem. So, you know, right. and I, exactly. yeah. So it, it seems like with a lot of athletic programs, especially they kind of like, you know, really uh, um, milk the young kids for what they're worth. And then, kick them to the curb when it when it's done absolutely and that's it i mean i remember too you know people would say oh you're so lucky you're on scholarship you don't have to pay for school and in many ways yeah again experience uh, it was invaluable but i mean if you break down 70 80 hours of work you know a week uh times four years a hundred thousand dollar scholarship you do the math it's minimum yeah. wage right right and and the reality is, you know, they're getting every dime. And, and yeah. the, my, my least enjoyable time in sports was during that time because it was really a business and it was really a, a very a very rough business hmm. in terms of how it uh, it treated you. But I learned so much. I learned from experience. And I learned, you know, I better take care of my body and I better learn the nuances that maybe are not as popular uh, in terms of, like, movement and, and yeah. flexibility. And, and then, again, spiritual practice and food and, so many things that I don't think would have come uh, in 2005. So right. this time around, as I noticed, well, to me, the world got injured. Yeah, you know? right. COVID is the big ankle sprain. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and you're seeing how, yeah, it. and you're seeing how different people react to it, uh, uh, you know, right. based on their own experiences. Right. You're seeing the people who say, ah, you know. Just, just put more plates on, bro. Don't worry about that. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just trying to power the way through it. And I get that. Then you're seeing some people saying, oh, I just got hurt. I don't want to play no more. I don't mm. want to play ever again. Look what yeah. happened when I played. Right. Mm. And then I'm seeing the people saying, yes, this current situation caused the injury. 
but what was I doing prior that didn't have me prepared? Mm. And then what can I do now going forward in case something like this happens again? Right. And, uh, you know, that's how I started looking at it and saying, okay, I have some time now. Let me, let me see if I can sort out this injury. I have some time. Let's look to see what really makes me happy in my career. Let me think about what life's like and what life is going to be like at 50, mm. 60 and 70 and 80. How do I want to live? How do I want to move? Yeah. What type of time do I want to have for my kids? And, you know, what can I do in the next five years to give me a 40 year return on investment? Right. So can I ask you for some specifics there? Cause I think this just could, would be really like beneficial yeah, for anybody yeah, listening sure. to I, hear. You always got to go specific. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a so, big paint on the, but that's great too. And, and for me, that's also it's, it, yeah, you need both. You need the higher level concepts to understand, okay, well, what am I, what am I working towards? But then of yes. course, everybody needs somebody, you know, for example, I've been doing boxing since quarantine happened because I, I always wanted to get into boxing. I never really did. And then I just started watching YouTube videos and, and you know, learning a bit more about the movements and the punches and, and the footwork and the head work and all that kind of stuff. And now I'm starting to feel like I'm, I'm getting a hold of it. But the best thing for me is those coaches, these beautiful people who just give you an hour of content for completely free, high quality, great instruction. And they just put it on YouTube, which is amazing. Right. And that's a whole other uh, conversation for fitness entrepreneurs, but, but entrepreneurs in general to just right. be generous with that content. Cause I've bought programs from these people. I've supported them there. You know, it does, Good. it will give you a return on your investment if you just put out your valuable knowledge there, but they're yeah. telling me specifics. Okay. Do this, uh, you know, flick your hip out on the jab because when you do that it creates this sort of thing and then they take you through a workout and say do this 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 and this and it's kind of like the macro and the micro at the same time so in terms of that thing about like how do I want to move when I'm older how do I want to feel like all that sort of stuff what would you say are some things that people can practice at home to build that foundation for for their body for the future and, and mind and everything yeah, really good question. I would start looking at every exercise you're doing and asking yourself, does this complement my gait pattern? Gait right? pattern, like walking. Gait pattern is walking and running. Right. And um, so much of what we do in typical exercise is not. It's sagittal and it's bilateral, which means it happens in a front to back motion mm. with two feet on the ground. Mm. And very rarely do we do anything in life like that. Even picking something up other than a weight do you make sure that your feet are square and you bend over with proper angles, right? Mm. Um, so imagine my entire life in fitness, it was about deadlifting and squatting and all these movements, chest pressing, and then I'm going in life and, and doing stuff that's way out of those planes. Right. So, you know, what I'm doing a lot is I'm still mimicking those movements, push, pull, twist, turn, but I'm looking at things from staggered stances, right? I'm looking at things from picking up from, you know, non-brace positions. What happens when I just have to catch my daughter? Mm. Or my son comes running to me. And what that's doing is it may not raise my actual numbers in terms of my program or my gym, but it's given me huge return on my quality of life, mm. uh, especially in the space of energy. Energy really is going to help us do anything, whether it's running your business, starting a new business, you know, uh, hanging out with your kids, thinking about kids, thinking about a pet, or even just being engaged, right? And, uh, you know, entrepreneurs often have uh, a lot of... Um, you know, hypervigilance where they're up all day long. Mm. So when the day ends, it's like, Bleh. yeah, you know, what, yeah, yeah. what do you want to eat? I don't care. What yeah. do you want to watch? Whatever you want to watch. Right. Yeah. So if I can keep my energy levels high throughout the day, then I can be better in all my spaces. And if my training is sometimes robbing me of that, then what's the point? Right. 
Mm. Um, so I've taken a lot of compression out of my out of my workouts as well. So I'm not putting things on my back, or I'm not thinking about you know again how much can I lift or or those things like that. So at home, I would really do some research and say like look at your gait pattern. Simple things, well, like throwing. Yeah, because <laughs> like I guess you get the, you get the twist, you get the the transverse abdominus transverse, thing. Yeah, you got it. It's transverse, it's sagittal, and it's a little bit frontal. It's three mm. planes in one, and it's something that we do, we're designed to do. Yeah, right? right. Before the gym, it was you know see your food, run after it, and throw something at it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. right. Yeah. No, I'm not saying you have to be you know primitive. Still use your peloton and use your weights. It's still fun. It's still cool. But just don't get tied to those feelings. Take them right. outside and see how they translate. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I would really say like again, where do you want to be in 40 years? Uh, you know, is aesthetics the most important thing? Okay, if it is, then you know, do you need to add 40 pounds of body mass right now? You know, it's been interesting to watch my peers really struggle with the change of not being able to go into a gym on the heavy weights. Yeah, for sure. Right? Like, like what were you holding on to? It's a like, crutch. What were you, it's a crutch, really. And, and it, that and crutch... It, sorry, you know? sorry to, to cut you off. Um, I was just going to say it's a crutch that's also tied into our self-image. Uh, you know, I, I went through that as a younger man when like I hurt my back for the first time when I was 19 and I had spent the last two years getting into weightlifting and bodybuilding because I was a kid in high school and I was like I wanted to feel I wanted to feel tougher I wanted to feel like I could hold my own if I got into a fight I wanted to feel I wanted to impress uh, girls with my physique and I you know so I started you know weightlifting and and basically bodybuilding although I wouldn't wouldn't have called it that at the time just I was working out but I was lifting heavier and heavier weights how much can I bench press how much can I squat all that kind of stuff and then at 19 I hurt my back for the first time and I couldn't do that and my self-confidence just plummeted right you know because I didn't have those big hulking shoulders anymore and I just was like and and I was also kind of injured too so I was like anyone could kick my ass right now. Uh, you know, I lost confidence just in general and in, in my, yeah, you're yeah. not really strong when you're hurting, right? Yeah, you're yeah, really yeah. Strong when you're hurting. And then that's yeah. the point I'm saying, like, is it that shoulder that's clicking and you're like, Oh, just put more weight on or I can't skip ch- uh, chest day. And I don't want to just attack the bros. You know, is it your back that's hurting? You're like, no, I gotta, I gotta do my glutes and my kickbacks. I gotta make sure my butt stays round. Or is it, you know, the pain in your knee? You're like, I gotta do one more ride. I gotta keep up with it. Mm. You know, it's, it's the idea of, are you willing to let go of what you had for what's to come? Mm. And the brilliant part about it is that you're actually not going to lose what you had. You know, the fact that I'm now using different parts of my body, like I said, stagger stances, multiple planes, uh, respecting my fascia lines, which is deeper than my muscles. You know, when I made up with all my friends, I have a pretty good uh, gym in my backyard. One of my boys comes over. We want to lift heavy that day. I can still lift heavy. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. It doesn't go away. Right. Yeah. You know, my son says, Hey, let's go on a bike ride. I jump on the bike ride. Yeah. And we go for that. That doesn't bother me. And I think that's the whole idea. Like, what do I want to do? What do I, what do I not want to have taken from me in the next four decades? Right. And what am I wanting to do now? So I don't know if that was specific enough. Cause I think, you know, <clears throat> the exercise is always unique. So I don't want to say what's right or wrong, or some people right. get into things and, and, and are very um, adversarial. <clears throat> you know, I respect what you say about the 19 year old bodybuilder. Because that's exactly what you needed at that time. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and it did I give was... me something like like that size that I built up 
actually gave me confidence to walk into a room and not feel worried which I had before I was a really anxious kid. And a lot of that anxiety came from, you know, growing up and seeing violence and not knowing how to handle it and not knowing if I could handle myself in those situations. So I'd walk into a room and I'd be like, you know, and then building that size that people were a little more respectful of and, and knowing that like I could walk into a room and not, uh, yeah, not, not have to shrink back or maybe keep my opinion to myself or whatever, those transferable, that transferable confidence was great. But then of course, I also had to let go of being the guy with a massive uh, shoulders and back because it actually, that physique wasn't serving me either, but maybe I had to go to the extreme to kind of swing back a little bit. And and that's my point. There is no there and there is no wrong in my opinion. You know, my Mm -hmm. dysfunctional sport training for 11 years took me to multiple places throughout the world. Right. Right. It gave me a lot of my identity. I met amazing people. It yeah. helped me launch my second business. If I wasn't right. there on scholarship, not paying for school, I went and looked around and said, whoa, houses here are 50 grand? Yeah. Let me try something here, right? right. So I, when I say these things, I always want to be careful because a lot of fitness is adversarial and competitive. Mm. And, um, you know, I, if it's better than sitting at the bar and drinking. Well, sitting at a bar, wherever that may be. Yeah. Um, as long as you're doing something, I'm for it. But yeah. just always go through your question of self-discovery. Right. And and think about what that ROI is going to be like in a few years down the road, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so would you say that um, there is a good movement in the fitness industry towards, let's say, the mental health side of things? Or would you say that's still a little bit behind? Because what I learned from my injury recovery as well was uh, about pain and chronic pain and how if you're stressed or anxious and depressed, which I was, the limbic system in your brain where that uh, is held apparently yep. can amplify and distort pain signals. Even after yes. any structural and tissue damage is gone, the, yes. the recurring pattern in your brain is like, oh, fuck, my back's hurting or whatever. For me, it yes. was my lower back, but whatever, you know, there, there's pain. Yes. Oh, don't do that movement. Oh, uh, you know, I'm going to spasm up because I don't like what you're the way you're walking. Uh, and yeah. then learning to meditate, to go to therapy, to, to practice mindfulness outside of meditation as well. Like just like mindfully moving, chopping vegetables, doing dishes, you know, getting groceries yeah. out of the car. Um, that was that to me, that really was the turning point for my recovery. When I met a doctor who explained that to me, I spent about eight months uh, doing all the wrong things. I was taking nerve blockers. I was considering therapy. Wow. I was on Percocet. I became addicted to Percocets, yeah. which was yeah. dirty. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just, I went down that road. I went yeah. down that road with my leg. Yeah. Right. Tough, tough gig. How yeah. long, did, how long were you, were you taking Percocets for? I went Percocets from the month one through month six. That was about I, almost exactly how long I did it too. And one day I sat there and I couldn't remember the last time I took a shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I literally yeah, could not yeah. remember. I was like, was that's one ago? of the worst was parts it a of it. Month yeah. ago? yeah. And I was like, you know what? I got to go. I got to get off these things. So yeah. this time around, um, I knew I had to manage my pain. So I went Monday was surgery by Wednesday. I said, I'm not taking anything after that. Hmm. And that was a little premature. I had to go more till Friday. But after that, it was off. Yeah. I, I know how quickly you can just numb your senses. Yeah. And uh, completely turn well, off the, your proprioception. The first Percocet I took after I got back from China. So I was in China for two weeks with this injury, trying to, trying to, to get better there. Uh, I had right. sciatica and I didn't even know what sciatica was at the time. So I had 
two weeks of going to Chinese hospitals, not understanding the medical advice I was being given um, right. and uh, not being able to, to walk. My girlfriend there was taking care of me. This is my ex now, but she was, she was literally uh, waking up, cooking breakfast, bringing it to me so I could eat with my medication, going to work, coming home and then cooking dinner and doing all the dishes. Like she was like superwoman taking care of, but, but it just obviously wasn't sustainable and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. So finally right. I came home to that, you know, the sweet uh, Canadian healthcare system <laughs> yeah. uh, and yeah. OHIP and uh, yeah, which was great. But, but the first doctor I went to was like, yeah, here's something for the pain Percocets. And the first yeah, one I took, I was like, yeah. Oh, this is the best thing yeah. ever. Cause it was just instant yeah. numbing, like instant numbing of yeah. all the worst instant, pain. Yeah. And then, yeah. of course, I got hooked and, and yeah, all the, this constipation yeah. that just the feeling of like, I remember taking one and being in a public space and I felt like, I felt like, uh, like I yeah. didn't belong there. I felt kind yeah, of like, you, feel you know, very detached. It's a very yeah. strange feeling. Mm. I think though, that's the first sign of knowing you had enough. Um, and as you're saying that I, the whole time, Percocet, Vicodin, they, playing football, like my injury was when I got an actual dose and a prescription prior mm. to that. There was no prescription. Those things were just being passed out like Skittles. Right? From, the, from the staff of the team? Yeah. It, just, they were just, it was something yeah. that I didn't realize until after I finished playing how serious it was. It just right. was never like, oh, I need this. Get a script. It was like, yeah, let me get that. Let me get that. You have perk 30s? Yeah, I got perk 10s. Yeah. And you just pass them around like pogs, wow. right? Man. Um, but I, I don't want to lose sight of what you said about do you think we're moving towards that? And I want to make sure I'm mm. very clear in my thought process. The fact we're having this conversation, the answer is yes. Hmm. but similar to how you said at 19 you had the big muscles and you were in pain and it took you a while to get detached from that the fitness industry is in that same place and i i i believe in the last five years we finally got the the just attention that we deserve Hmm. and you saw that with the explosion of you know uh boutiques and boxes and all celebrities are endorsing fitness and that's amazing but we're still very much in that uh look at me stage yeah right um to the point where i know a lot of fitness professionals that are struggling with all type of addictions all type of mental health issues even addiction to exercise mm. but that yeah. upholding the image because it's so new it's like that first time you see your little muscles pop out yeah yeah because <clears throat> it's so new you don't want to let it go yeah uh covid has caused everybody to take like you have to take a break which will mm. help but I'm still not seeing that transition over to what this truly means in terms of a holistic approach. It's still, you know, get Jack from home, get lean from home. And yeah. Yeah. yeah what I sure. truly believe. Yeah. What I believe is going to happen. And I think a lot of people, no, I shouldn't say a lot. I think a certain set of the population, their eyes are going to be opened. And our government is doing a really good job displaying their priorities. <laughs> they're telling us what they think about our mental and physical health based on their restrictions. Hmm. They're giving us really clear uh, evidence <laughs> that you want to stay out of the sick care system the best you can. Right. And what are those, what are those messages in your eyes? Not to get overly political, but like, what do you think yeah, yeah. the government just, is telling just... us with, with these restrictions? I just think I think they believe that um, they don't believe in prevention, or they don't have an understanding from a personal level. Because right. what I see every day is obesity going up, mental health going up, domestic violence going up, yeah. and all we're getting is more restrictions on things that we know are not contributing to the virus. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. And when I say that, again, I don't want to go on a tangent, get political. I just believe that some people are going to say, you know what? I see it and I don't want to go that route. I don't want to go into an overcrowded OHIP system where medication and surgery are going to be the outcomes. Yeah. I want to take my health by the reins. And with that being said, there's going to be certain professionals that can. Oh, did I lose you there? I lost your radio just for a second. Yeah. Sorry. There's going to be certain professionals that can uh, deliver that service. Right. Is it going to be the masses? I don't think so. I think actually it's going to get smaller. And I think it's going to be a discerning client who understands the things we're talking about and maybe mm-hmm. has the personal experience themselves. Yeah. Well, cause I wouldn't yeah. have, I wouldn't have had, yeah, I, I didn't. And I believe wouldn't, although I guess I wouldn't, I don't know, but I, I believe I wouldn't have this knowledge about, or, or even this value system that I do now without having gone through the injury. And my value systems now are a lot more longer term focused. They're a lot more, you know, focusing on sustainability and happiness rather than big biceps and, and, you know, uh, uh, looking cut or, or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, and for me, again, the mental health side of things is so important because I, I believe as, so this is a bit of entrepreneur, I guess, philosophy or whatever, or what have you, but uh, I believe that under all our pain points that, that as entrepreneurs, we're trying to solve for the market, there's, one that exists under everything and that is emotional well-being right. and the reason i say that is obviously you know the need for survival is is huge and obviously we you know we need to eat we need to kind of have somewhere to shelter you know we have the hierarchy of needs maslow's pyramid and, and all that sort of right. thing but underneath all our our current problems now that we've kind of you know conquered nature to the point where where most of us are not in danger of getting eaten by a wild animal as a, a daily worry um yes. If there's something wrong with your money, if there's something that you're wasting time on, if there's something going wrong with your family, if there's something wrong with your physical health, all of these are problems, but usually because they're affecting your emotional health in some way. For example, if you're wasting time, but you're loving what you're doing, then there's no problem. If, right. if the, the time wasting is not painful to you emotionally, then who cares? Like you can spend six hours on a beach, uh, you know, right. reading a trashy thriller novel and if that's where you right. want to be then that's fine there's no fine. no yeah. problem if your right. if your sister doesn't talk to you but you've done the work to become okay with that and for whatever reason you guys can't make up and you can't uh fix this problem then that's not going to be as big a deal as if you as you know so these other pain points like family and physical health and like i said for the injury my physical pain was so much worse when I allowed right. it to, to be really screwing with my mental health. Right. Once and, I fixed and, the mental health side, it was a huge turnaround. And I agree. And I guess that's why my answer was so kind of, you know, gray area because yes. And there will be people who understand that from experience and there are going to be other people who want the distraction. And that could be Percocet. It could be social media. It mm. could be, you know, all the things, you know, Augmented reality is doing amazing things that I believe is going to help exactly what we're saying, but it's also just going to cause you to, to, to drift and plug yeah. out and not yeah, deal yeah. with what's going on. So I wish I can say, you know, fitness is the great, you know, savior. I believe that in my own practice and the people I know and the ones around me, and that's, that's my, that's my, you know, mission in life. Mm-hmm. But I also know, you know, with commodities, you always have to be ready for, uh, you know, 
for a little bit of dissatisfaction, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think too, um, in the entrepreneur tech, especially tech space, people try to come up with tech solutions for the future. Um, You know, we see this in the movies like The Social Dilemma and stuff. It's that all of these technologies are not being made with any kind of human emotional well-being metrics in mind. They're being that's the made. Scary part. Yeah. yeah. The business that's the part is disappointing. It's for a business sure. case. <laughs> it's a business case. How can yes. I get more, whether it's if it's a marketing tool, more engagement likes shares. Yep. If it's a, yep. a fitness tool, how can I get them to spend more money on the subscription service? How can I hook them so they need to keep upgrading their biz, their, their their payment structure? Uh, yep. you know, whatever the incentives are all based around sucking yep. our attention in and not making us feel better. Um, right. So how do I you... want to really touch on that right there for a sure. second, because the grand prize is our healthcare system. It's inefficient. It's bloated. It's ineffective in many ways. And I do believe that tech will help support it. I do help. It will make it more. I do hope it will make it more available to more people. But I also have to be ready for the fact that everything you just said just drives people towards, you know, paying to stay alive. Hmm. And and that's the dangerous part that I I. I don't feel confident in some of these big companies. You know, you, you start tracking my information and you know almost what my value is going to be on the back end when I'm sick. Wow. Yeah. That's, you know? I, I hadn't thought about it in those terms. That's really depressing. I think too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I yeah, it's, it's, uh, there, there's, it's really hard to, it's really hard to obviously dissuade entrepreneurs from, making money as their primary incentive. What I have noticed in the startup space a little bit is there's a lot of purpose-driven and social impact-driven businesses, at least in my little circle. So, you know, who knows what, what the, the larger picture really is, but, but I am, I am, uh, I, I am given hope by a lot of these incredible entrepreneurs who are like, I'm worried about what the, you know, the triple bottom line, which is people planet as well as profit. Right. And so I think the biggest thing you can do is just make sure you start taking care of yourself and those around you. Because if we all do that, that's going to have a very big ripple effect to where, yeah. you know, that will inspire maybe at a point where, you know, a company takes on a massive influx of capital and that capital may not have the same alignment as the original agendas. Maybe now you have a staff that says, no, no, we're not for that. Yeah. Or, or you know, um, shareholders or, or even the marketplace that says, wait a minute, you guys are changing. Yeah. Right? When you started, you were helping us and you here's my testimony of how you helped me and my family. What's happening? And I think yeah. that type of uh, responsibility. And I actually want to take a step back and make sure that when I speak this way, it's not at all pessimistic. That's not who I am. Mm. It's just more allows me to understand what my what my uh, my mission has to be. Right. Yeah. And it's creating those changes at the surface level with individual people, which is why I took a step back as well, because the bigger I got, the less I was touching and the less I was making that direct impact. And I know now, like, for example, I'm working with a 12 year old kid and he's amazing. He's a, he came for football training, um, but very quickly I realized, okay, we have some attention deficit concerns and, Mm. you know, he's thriving a month in his dad's training, you know, yesterday his mom came in, Mm. right? She wants to start. Yeah. That's impact. That's amazing impact. And I think if we're all just doing that, shepherding ourselves first and then shepherding us around us, Mm. then at the end of the day, companies, organizations, politicians, governments are just made up of people, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I want to make sure that it didn't have a, a negative spin from my communication. For, for sure. And, yeah. and I think it, it's easy to fall into like a despairing mode when you're talking about all this like big tech concerns and stuff. But right. I also want to say too that I do believe honestly from looking at data, both at data on, on like who's getting funded and which companies are getting funded, that there is a shift towards, let's say, more uh, planet focused, you know, sustainable agriculture and those kind of companies, as well as stuff that that. Uh, takes into account human well-being. And there are important people uh, talking about the fact that the social dilemma was released on Netflix is an indicator. As you said, us having this conversation is an indicator of a good trend. And so is that. And I would just to to also double down on your point that you just made about the the 12-year-old and his parents, like most of my success uh, in terms of getting new clients, getting repeat clients, the ones that have lifetime value and, and getting referrals have come from satisfied customers, yep. people who yeah. felt like I actually provided real value to their lives. It hasn't yeah. come from like automated marketing campaigns. It hasn't come from like generic uh, uh, lead generation tools that right. aren't really of any use and just, you know, shoves my product in everybody's face. It's come yeah, from, exactly. you know, yeah, real people feeling like there's been actual value delivered. And, and that's uh, honestly, I think that you can't overstate that to entrepreneurs. Is, and, and again, that ripple effect of start with yourself. My whole yep. thing is like, go to therapy, forgive yep. yourself, practice self-compassion, practice self-acceptance, you know, yep. become a fan of yourself, become an encourager, become your own best friend in the way that you talk to yourself in your own head. Uh, and, and watch the, watch the great ripple effects that that has, because it will radiate outwards. Yeah. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. I agree completely. Yeah. All right. I think that's a great place to, to leave it. Thanks. Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much. And Swanee, it kind of flew by. We've, uh, we've almost hit an hour there, but yeah, Get almost an hour, here. like 50 minutes, I think. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That was good. That was really yeah, man. good. For sure. Thanks so much for doing this. I'd love to have you on and talk about, cause I know you have, there's so much uh, more. Every time I talk to you, you know, offline as well, I always just leave with so many good ideas and just kind of buzzing. So I really, really appreciate this. And uh, yeah. I, rec- we'll I received your words. The feeling is mutual and sure. I'd love to talk anytime. Well, okay. Take care, man. Be well. Thank you so much. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye.